Welcome to Growing Your Team, a podcast designed for small business owners seeking to grow their company with the help of employees and contractors. Your time is limited, which means growing and leveraging teams is essential for business success. The Growing Your Team podcast is the place to learn tips and techniques designed to help you know when it's the right time to hire, how to select perfect fit team members, and how to maximize productivity while creating a positive work environment. Drawing from her 10 plus years of leadership and hiring experience, here is your host, Jamie Van Kuyk. Hello, Jamie Van Kuyk here, and welcome back to the Grown Your Team podcast. Today, I have on guest Monique Allen. Monique is the CEO of the Garden Continuum, an award-winning seven-figure landscape design, build, and fine gardening company currently operating debt-free and profitable with 20 employees on staff. She is the founder of the Lifescape Method for Landscape Development and the author of the book, Stop Landscaping, Start Lifescaping, which outlines how to imagine and plan a regenerative landscape. Monique considers her primary job a gardener of people and is committed to nurturing a compassionate business culture that supports her mission to be an eco-friendly company with triple bottom line success. She is an active business coach in the green industry space, specializing in working with business owners to grow their landscape business practices through the development of scalable systems and well-curated and nurtured teams. In this conversation, Monique and I are talking about how she grew her team, how to learn to trust your team members, and about that triple bottom line, which includes the planet, people, and profits. Monique grew her company from being just her to now a team of 20 people where she has five crews in addition to helping other landscape businesses grow their businesses and be successful. And she's sharing a bunch of her secrets in this conversation. So let's jump in and hear about Monique, her team, and her business. Hi, Monique. Thank you so much for joining us on the Growing Your Team podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Jamie. I'm really, really excited to be here. Very honored to be here. Oh, thank you. Well, can you kick us off with telling everybody about you and your business? Absolutely. So uh, my name is Monique Allen and I'm, um, I'm a landscaper. I'm a, I'm a gardener turned business owner, I'm always entrepreneurial at a young age. And uh, my company is called The Garden Continuum. And we do what I call hyper-local regenerative landscaping, um, which is kind of a mouthful, but it's about um, what you would think of as landscaping. So think about around your house and all the beautiful things that you have around your house, and we 10x that. So we bring that to what we call lifescaping. So it isn't really about it being hyper fancy or hyper expensive. It's about it being hyper healthy. And so everything that we do in our business is about building landscapes that bring health, that bring joy to people. And what I realized was as I was doing this, I only had like a minimal amount of impact Um, because one person can only do like one thing. So I needed people. So I had to figure out how to grow a team, how to grow an organization, how to build a company. And then I was able to have, instead of just me out there, I was able to have five crews out there doing it. Then I realized (laughs) five crews is only five crews and it's really local. So how do I help other landscape companies do what I've been able to do and scale. And so uh, my business has evolved to include coaching and helping other businesses that have this triple bottom line interest, which is the planet people profits, help them to then also build businesses that do this regenerative landscaping and they can create a much farther reach than I can do alone. Awesome. I love all that. I always love it when people take 
really what they've learned, what they've been successful with and share it with others, because that's how we're really going to create that, that bigger, greater economy is not by keeping all the secrets to ourselves, but helping others achieve that success and wealth as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is no truer words were ever said, but I think that's also evolutionary, like in any one entrepreneur's brain, because we spend so much time honing our message and really, really trying to figure out how to build our businesses so that they're lucrative for us, right? So that there's a lot of positivity in what we're doing. And then you're like, I don't want to give that away. <laughs> you know, I want to keep that. But I think the evolution really can be, if we open our minds and hearts, is what you teach your employees and what you encourage your colleagues to take on. And if, you know, if coaching is in your realm, then great. It was in mine because I've always been a teacher. And so I love the idea of spreading it because I just, I just feel like we can do a lot of great stuff for this planet if more people are doing it. Right. Exactly. Okay. So I want to talk about your journey. So you mentioned like you realized that you couldn't do it all yourself. Like if you wanted to make a bigger impact, you needed to build a team. So let's mm -hmm. talk about that early team. What was the first position you brought on? Uh, so it, I remember it very well. It was in 1992. Um, I started in the industry in 1986. And so in 90 and I was a freelance and from and then in 1991 I started my first company um it was a sole proprietorship and a year in I had always been hiring helpers like you know people to just come and like oh my goodness I hired everyone my brother his friends my friends you know everybody because you know we do physical work but I realized that I, I needed like a real employee I needed somebody who had predictable hours and pay, I could give them predictable pay. So in 1992, I hired somebody to work in the field with me kind of as like a right hand person. So not just to work. I mean, we were, I was, I worked physically in the industry for a long time, but she was really, we would, we would think together. We would drive to the property together. We would strategize on the way home together. She would sort of share my, burden of prep and, you know, we call it mobilization and demobilization at the beginning and end of the day. And that was like a, that was a really, really big move because it was a huge financial commitment, but it just opened the door for understanding how making commitments to other people who you're of course asking to make a commitment to you helps you to get to the next level. So it was super scary, but it was successful right out of the gate. Great. Yeah. It's always one of those things like hiring is a scary process, especially when you're doing it within your own business. Like you had mentioned, you wanted to give someone predictable hours, predictable pay, but then there's like the mindset things that go into it. It's like, well, is it really predictable? Like, how can I guarantee that it's going to be predictable? And it's like, you start putting yourself through all these things of like, what if, what if, what if, and you know, sometimes you just need to be like, okay, I got this. I'm going to move through it. We're going to see what happens. And one thing I tell my clients all the time is really nothing in business is predictable. You can't predict what's going to happen around the quarter, like the negative, like sometimes like that. No one predicted that like really COVID was coming and like things were going to shut down and business were going to be impacted. No one really predicted like some of these things. So you just got to move forward with your business on that trajectory that it's already moving forward. And if that means that you need the help, and that you can see that you have room for predictable hours or predictable pay for somebody. Don't worry about the what ifs that could happen because those what ifs that could happen could also be really positive what ifs that allow you to keep growing your team. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, predictability is, it's overrated, right? Because if everything was predictable, you'd be bored out of your mind, right? Right, like part of what makes a lot of life so exciting is the fact that we do have anticipation of what might come and it's not entirely predictable. And I think the keys to that are the foundations you build, your preparedness, and then your ability to be light on your feet. So to sort of be on your toes and know that when you invest up front, so whether it's 
doing all the math to figure out, okay, if I'm hiring an employee, what am I paying that employee? What is that employee costing me? And how much can I charge that employee out at? And a lot of times what I see in, in my coaching, so I specialize in coaching a certain level of employee that I know is I've already gone through all of their pain. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of times what I see is this sort of marginal uptick of what they want to charge an employee out for. And then a feeling of, oh, that's not fair. I shouldn't charge that much. And trying to bridge that that new feeling of paying somebody something, but charging more for it. And so I'm a firm believer that the the foundations you create around that strategic math, and then also your organizational chart, even if your organizational chart is you and one person, you have to be able to look into the future and say, it's me and one person. Now, where would the second person sit? Where would the third person sit? And how do I look into the future to sort of pre-imagine that foundation? And then you work toward it. It's like visioning. And then I think what happens is you don't worry about predictability anymore because you're light on your feet. And if something comes, you just bounce right, you bounce left. And um, so I think you're, you're so spot on with that. Like, it's just not leaning into predictability is going to not be very fruitful for you. Right. Yeah. Nothing's predictable. Like you just got to, you just got to go with it. And I love what you said about visioning that future team and having that, that plan there, because then it allows you to see what steps do you have to take? How does this person move up or could move up through the ranks? Is there opportunity? You know, so one of the things that I'll tell people is then when you know, like, okay, I have this position, it could grow into this position. What is the time frame of that growth? If you know, it's going to be really, really soon, you're not hiring just for this position today. You're hiring for someone who can grow into that additional position. So do they have the skill set and do they have the ability to advance in the way that you need them to advance? because you know that it's a short time period that you need them to go from A to B. Absolutely. Yeah. Then I tell clients at the other times, it's just like, okay, well, you're hiring someone from this role today. You eventually wanted to move there, but that's so far in the future. Your business might change by the time like that's happening. And this position you're hiring for is never going to go away. So what that means is the person you're hiring today could always be in this role. They don't necessarily need to move up in the organization. They might be happy being here. So let's focus on hiring what you need for this position and not necessarily worry about where they could go because this particular person might never move up because they're happy doing this level of work. It's what they want. It's, it's their goal to stay in that level of work for the next five years, 10 years, or the rest of their career. Yeah, that's, you know, that's so interesting. And it's, there's a lot of teasing out when you think about that visioning of your organizational chart and like, where am I today? Where will I be tomorrow? Where will I be in three years or five years? And I was always one of these people early on when I was like, you know, learn, learn, learn. You can always grow. You can always learn. You can always do more. And I, when I got into the realm where, you know, I had 10 people um, and I realized it was a lot to wrangle and we've got 18 now. And we're growing. We're still bringing staff on. I would get aggravated when people didn't want to grow. So I, because education is so central, it's one of our central core values, um, is ever coachable, which is a little bit broader than just learning. I would get frustrated when people didn't take the opportunities that I was giving them. So I was paying for additional education and certification and people could get raises if they got certification. And then additional raises if they did continuing education credits and they weren't doing it. And I was aggravated. And I went to this really great landscape business uh, conference once. And the guy said the coolest thing to me, he said, you know, not all of your employees are going to want to grow. Not all of your employees are as ambitious as you are. Some of your employees aren't even half as ambitious as you are. They want a job. They want a steady paycheck. They want to feel safe at work. They want to do what they feel very comfortable with and challenging themselves is actually uncomfortable. So we don't want to marginalize that employee by saying, well, you're not growing and all these people are growing. 
you want to be able to say, okay, you have the opportunity here. Here's the growth ladder. You can grow and transform and evolve in your career, or you can stay and be great. So choose one, choose the path that works for you in that moment. And then when it doesn't work for you anymore, shift, say, you know yes. what, I've, I've, I've been, I've been great here for a really long time. I'm ready to, I'm, I'm ready to grow and transform or, you know what, I've been growing so much. I'm a little pooped right now. I'd like to stay and be great for a while. Now they're both really positive things for your employees to choose and nobody is marginalized. Yes. I know. I, I learned that the hard way when I was a first time manager, I was, I was young. I was ambitious. I had a lot of team members that were really ambitious and we worked for a larger corporate company. There was plenty of places they could go and move to. So it was always like, okay, let's figure out where you want to go in the company. Let's, let's, uh, connect you with people. Let's give you the right training. And one of my employees, she was, she was an older employee. She had been in the role for a long time. And I was just like, okay, you've been in the role for a long time. It's time. Like, let's figure out where else you want to go. What else do you want to do? And finally, she said to me the one day, she goes, why do you want me off your team? Why are you trying to get me off your team? And I was just like, well, what do you mean? She goes, you keep trying to push me into something else. And it was like through that conversation, we're like realizing that she wanted, like, this was, this was her position. This is where she wanted to be. She would have been happy being in the position until she retired. And she felt like I didn't want her on my team. And that's why I was pushing her for all these opportunities. And I was like, oh wait, no, no, no. Like that's, that's not what I'm trying to say at all. Like I really value you. So then it was like learning, like, how do I leverage her to the best of her abilities and what she wants to do on the team. And it was like really then putting her into this position of being a mentor and being kind of like a, a trainer and a guide for other team members, because she had that institutional knowledge in that position where other team members can look up to her. And once it was like shifting of trying to get her to go somewhere else to really allowing her to live to her fullest potential in that position, amazing shift of just like, her thought process, her willingness to do things on the team because she no longer felt like she wasn't wanted. She felt that she could live to her fullest potential in the position and was like an amazing, an amazing team member that was one of like my top team members. And I was like, you know, you're right. I shouldn't be trying to get rid of my top team members all the time. If you want to stay here and be awesome, stay here and be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And what it makes me think of is um, when you have small companies too, your growth ladder is it's like a step stool because you don't have that big organization depth of positioning, you know, up or even laterally, you know, it's not like I can't send somebody to, you know, Utah to work, you know, in that division or something. So I think the other piece of it is where you can go wider in a position or where you can go deeper in a position. And here we call that developing a domain expertise. So if somebody is a crew leader, but they really, really love working with soils, then, and this is a true story, we have an employee who is a crew leader who has a science and ag background and is going very deep in learning about soils. And Her crew leader job, I mean, it's a difficult job, but it will become easy in the sense that it's a a more predictable job, a more repeatable patterned job. And so as she gets better and better and better at it, she can start going deeper and deeper and deeper in her domain expertise of soils. Now she does the job that she has, but she also has a transferable expertise that she can share with other crew leaders who aren't going to go down that road. So we have people that go down the pruning road. We have people that go down a decor road. We have people that go down a design road. So the idea is that you can still have that stable position in a small company and develop depth and breadth of expertise in a certain domain if your management team and your leadership is really seeing fully how they can evolve their company without getting huge, without having to be some big, huge corporation. Right. Exactly. 
Yeah. Okay. So I want to go back to, we were talking about your very first employee and um, you had made comments about like, this person was really helping out with a lot of not just like doing the tasks, but kind of a lot of the, the thought and the strategy. What was that like? Because I know that's something where a lot of business owners, when they're hiring their first team, they're like, wait, I'm not ready to give up the kind of like the minds piece yet. They want help with the tasks, but they're, they're sometimes afraid and resistant to letting someone else having control or a say in, in the bigger picture items. So was that ever a challenge for you of like learning how to delegate, not just like doing the task, but delegating the thought process too? Yeah, definitely. And so, and with different positions. So now we're a corporation. I have a whole corporate team. I have a production team and then I have field staff. And so um, I actually sit um, on a leadership team with six people. So I have three people that run the corporate side of things and then three people that run the external production side of things. And I'm you know, the, the head of the pin. Right. So, but the, the goal is to make sure that those people can run the organization without me, which is kind of funny when you think about it, because I was running the organization all by myself, but now I need all these people. But if you're spread out like that, you definitely need the expertise and commitment of other people. I will tell you that the hardest thing for me, if you believe in it, like, um, you know, the signs of the Zodiac. I have seven planets in Virgo. I am like organization, planning, calendars, high communication. And in the construction world, that's not, I mean, when you get into the very big construction world, it's a little bit more, let's say organized, but in the smaller business world, there's a lot of fly by the seat of your pants. And so it was uncomfortable to me when I brought people in and I would get the, yeah, I got it. Or I would say something and I'd sort of get the nod and then they would go away and I'd be like, did you do that thing that I, you know, and it was I, I this discomfort with just not being sure. And what I realized took me a while was that there's a real difference between control and command. And, you know, it's, if you try to control everything in your organization, especially as your organization grows, you will be, you will be exhausted and uh, you'll be, you know, labeled a micromanager and, and, and you will, you will cycle through people. If instead you have leadership command, so real clarity around what the organizational chart looks like, what the SOPs, your standard operating procedures, and what those expectations are, all of that living inside of very, very well articulated values. What happens is you don't need to have control because they all have control. And one thing for me that was very big was I spent, when I was growing my company, I also worked in accounting. I was working with an accounting firm. And because I'm in New England, and so unless I was going to plow snow, there was nothing to do in the winter. And the great thing was it was a lot of taxes to do in the winter. (laughs) Right. So I worked in the accounting world. And so I was a very solid bookkeeper and I would never give anybody my bank rec, the bank reconciliation. And I went through lots of different office managers, but I'd still take the bank reconciliation because I figured that was my eyes on the the real the real pulse of the company and it took me a while I have a a corporate she's called a corporate affairs manager and she runs my office and I'll never forget the day when I looked at her she said to me I really think you should give me the bank recs it's taking you too much time it's stressful I can do them and she had asked me several times I'll never forget that day when she said that to me and I looked at her and I'm like Oh, bless you. Please take it, take it. And I realized at that point that I had gone over this threshold of moving away from control and moving into a leadership command that had a lot of trust value. So we were trust bonding. And I think in those, in that early time with my first employee, you know, the second, the third is there's a lot of relating at least this is how I've done it. It's sort of like the head and the heart. 
and relating and building a trust bond and, and building an explicit agreement between you two that you are working together and that it will be iterative. It's not predictable. Like you said, it's iterative. It will evolve as your relationship evolves and as the work evolves. And then at that point, when I see you got this even better than me, I will step down and it's a practice. It's super uncomfortable. But if you allow that iteration and you don't put like a hard deadline on the end of it, what happens is you start giving little bits and little bits to the point where you're like, here, you know what? Take all of it. Just take it. You're good. And, um, and then your job becomes mentoring them because they're nervous because they want to do it right for you. So I think it's a, I hope I answered the question. I think it's this sort of, it's allowing it to unfold, allowing yourself to build the trust bond, allowing things to iterate over time. And then trying really hard to separate the, create the difference between control and leadership command. Yes. I love that. And it just reminds me of some of the things like for my clients, when we're doing onboarding processes, especially for positions where it's really that position, it's going to require a lot of trust. And they're like, how, how do I trust someone for the first time doing this when it's such a big, it has such a big impact. And we really, we set up plans where it's kind of like that, that, as I always say, it's like a stair-step approach. You're not going to feel comfortable handing everything over on day one and be like, here you go. You got it. I trust you 100% because first off, they don't really know yet how to do it the way you want it done or what's going to be best for your business. And you're going to be like freaking out every step of the way and worrying if, are they going to do it wrong? Are they going to bring your business down? Are they going to make a huge mistake? So we always set up processes where it's like, okay, here's what phase one looks like. Here's what phase two looks like. Here's when you need to realize it's time to move from phase one to phase two. Here's what phase three looks like. Okay, sometimes we put in like a 3.2. So it's like, here's this little teeny tiny tweak you can make to then then do this. And a lot of them is like, oh, like once we lay it out that way and I see it that way, it's not handing over the reins like right away. It's building that trust. And, and sometimes I tell like the business owners I work with, it's, it's, it's the trust is just as much on you as it is on them. Like, yes, they have to be showing you that they're doing a good job, but you have to learn to let go. You have to learn to change your behavior and allow someone else to do this for you. So how do you build the trust that they're going to do it well, just at the same time that they're earning your trust. And, you know, so it goes both ways. And when you do this, you can create that great relationship of, okay, what does this look like once you reach that, that ultimate level? Because one of the mistakes that I've seen other business owners make, and this is when they come back, they're like, my team didn't work out, is they do give everything over too quickly. And then that other person kind of runs with things. As you say, there's a difference between like the authority and the leadership. So they kind of hand over the leadership portion of it too. The authority, they hand over everything. And then that person runs with that part of the business and they remove themselves so much that they don't actually know what's going on in that portion of their business. And then they step in too late to realize that team member took that portion of the business on a completely different direction than it should have been. It's no longer aligned with the goals. And there's a lot of problems that now they're having to correct and figure out how do we get it back versus like doing the right things to begin with, to make sure that everything continues to be in alignment with each other. Yeah. And it makes me think about some of the things that I've heard on, on your other shows, like with your other guests, it was one guest that talked about pausing, you know, and taking that pause in business and like meetings and it, we make mistakes when we rush period. Yes. Right. And so if you rut like all your whole journey in your hire and that, that you've been sharing with your audience has been so great because you're saying, look at, I didn't just decide I needed an employee and then like grab the first person that answered my ad. I, I went through this whole process, which was really doing the job description and really thinking about what onboarding would look like. I'm really thinking about personality type and characteristics and those intrinsic things that like, we have no, we have no uh, control over 
who the person is, their character. And you did all of this upfront work and that takes so much time. So I, I feel like this idea of, um, investing, knowing that when you're, when you're hiring somebody, you're investing, um, you wouldn't put, you know, money in the market and expect that tomorrow you would be getting this huge return on your money. You, you, you're looking long-term, you're also doing dollar cost averaging. You're not putting, you know, all the money in at once. You're saying, I'm going to put a little bit of money in, you know, and I'm going to dollar cost average. Well, you're doing the exact same thing in the investment in building your team. So whether it's one person or 18 people, that investment does not go away. And the person that says, look, I just want to hire a team and I want help. It's like you get that help when you invest by giving help, by mentoring and by working with people and being, I, I have to say, I think being somewhat transparent, I have found that transparent leadership is, um, and I've tried, you know, command, you know, harder command leadership, you know, definitely being in command of your ship but being real transparent about the moments where you too are unsure and you're actually calling on the collective of your team to help bring their brilliance to the problem. So we so got to practice this during COVID. I mean, nobody knew how to navigate that. So when you are building incremental trust bonds with your team, again, whether it's one or 18 or, or, or you know, 80, then what happens is when there is crisis, when there is trouble, you're able to lean into that authentically and transparently, and then your team can iterate together. And that, that just feel that to me has been transformative in how, how to build this organization. Yes, exactly. I am all about transparency with the teams. Like, obviously there's some things like you're not going to share probably every little detail, like with your team members about things, but it's figuring out with everything. What can you share? What should you be sharing? I even know, uh, when I was in corporate with my teams, there was things where it was like, we didn't have all the information or things that we couldn't share until like it was coming down from leadership or there was official announcements, but being able to share what I could, what was appropriate with the team. So they felt like I was keeping them in the loop as much as I could built that, built that trust. They knew that I wasn't hiding things from them, that, um, that things that were important, they knew about, that they could prepare, that we could start thinking about, we could have those discussions about. And sometimes it really helped because as things were going on and I'd be like, I don't have all the information to share yet, but here's some of the things that are going on. And we'd have discussions. They'd be like, well, have they thought about this? Have they thought about that? And sometimes I could be like, yes, we thought about that. Um, you know, maybe I don't have all the information I can share, but I can tell you, we have thought about that. And other times they'd be like, you know what? I don't know if they, we've actually thought about that. At least I wasn't a part of a conversation about that yet. So let me bring that back to the more senior leadership to make sure that we're not overlooking that item. And there were times where they're like, oh my gosh, like we're so close to it that we didn't think about that. So you can learn things from your team and have that point of view where it's like, oh, I'm so close to it that, yeah, I didn't think about that. Thank you so much for bringing that up. So we didn't experience problems later. Yeah, there's um, there, that that's so cool, and that what it does, I think, when when an organization is working in that way, so everybody is in leadership, right? Like everybody gets to lead in their own space, and what it does is it's it kind of levels the playing field a little by saying, you know, yeah, I'm the owner. Okay, let's just take that out of the room. But when I come into the room in t- with my leadership team. Or when I'm in the room with my crew leads or when I'm doing training with all of my people, I realize that there's a lot of intelligence in that room and, and they have an enormous uh, ability to share things back with me because they see the front line. And I read a great story. Um, I think it was in one of Simon Sinek's books. It might've been Leaders Eat Last, but I can't remember. But he was talking about very briefly um, a commander of a ship and he, you know, he, he's like a turnaround commander. He was, he was sent to the ship to turn around the crew. It was like the sloppy ship. So he's already, he's, he knows the ship inside and out. Last minute, they change him to a different ship. It's a newer ship. 
and it's just as sloppy. He figures I can make the changes and he tells the people um, that are navigating to change the heading and to do this particular thing. Long story short, they don't do what he says. And he comes back and he's like, you know, explain yourself. And the guy says, well, I can't do what you said because this ship doesn't do that. It doesn't do that because it's a completely newer ship. It doesn't work that way. And the guy just sort of, you know, dope slapped himself. And he said, I need to be thinking of my frontline people as the people with information that I no longer have. So what I need to do is rather than bark commands down, I need to go and I, and I would say, hey, I want to get over here. How would you do it? And that if you do that, you give, you empower the people on the front line to make really substantive contributions to your organization. And then they feel great. They feel like super proud of what they were able to contribute. And if what they suggest isn't totally appropriate, it's a perfect learning, learning moment. And so I think that takes a ton of practice. It's certainly been something that I've been practicing for a long time, but I've been an employer now for over 30 years. So it's evolved over time and my team mostly self-directs and that's the freedom everybody's looking for. It's just, and you don't have to invest 30 years in it. Honestly, you can get that done in three years of working with someone if you employ all of this stuff right at the get-go. Right. So I haven't read the Simon Sinek book or anything yet, but the story that you're talking about, there's that guy actually wrote his own book. So his book about everything, it's called Turn the Ship Around. His name (gasps) is David Marquette. And I love that book. It is like when someone asks, what's a leadership book that's a must read? It's the one I suggest. Like it is an amazing read. And here's why like, I think it's, well, there's millions of reasons why I think it's so amazing is- (laughs) When I was in um, corporate, people would always ask me, they're like, why don't you have these problems on your team? Like, what's going on? What do you do differently? And I'm like, I don't know. I just have great people. Like, it must be, I'm just luck of the draw. I have really good team members. So, you know, this, it, they do well. Like, I don't have to babysit my team. I don't have these problems. I don't have to jump in here. And one Christmas, my husband got me that book. And he goes, I've heard a lot of great things about it. Read it. And I realized that a lot of the things that he teaches I actually did with my team. And it allowed me to realize that, yeah, I had great team members, but I also was allowing them to live in their greatness because this is how I managed my team. And then I like, that's really kind of what helped me transition of like, how do I teach other people to lead their team and communicate with their team where it's not luck of the draw. It's actually how you act. So the book is amazing. The other thing I like about the book uh, just for a little, another little thing, is it really, it's, it's almost written like a novel where he's really bringing you like step-by-step through his story, through turning the ship around and learning. And he's open and honest about his mistakes. So like you mentioned, like him telling the team to do something that isn't possible and he's open and honest about it. And at the end of each chapter, not only is it like, what happened next? What happened next in the story? I got to keep reading. It's also, um, he has a list of action questions. And what I love about the questions is sometimes when you read leadership books, you're left at the end of the chapter, like, well, that's great advice, but how do I really apply it to my business? Because I'm pretty sure most of us aren't running ships that like we could be like, yes, let me go apply this directly to my business. Where he poses these questions in a way that actually starts making you think of, how do I apply this to my business, to my unique situation? So you're left with actual actions you can take. And it is such a great read. I recommend it all the time. So yes, I'll share the link to it in the show notes. Awesome. Thank you. I did not know where, where I couldn't remember his name. And now that you're saying it, I remember that he mentioned that he wrote a book. I just never got around to it. So that's going to be next on my list. That's awesome. Thanks. So I know we're really coming up on time, so we need to start wrapping everything up, but I want to ask you one more question about your team before we do that. Yes. You are in an industry where obviously you have your leadership team, but you also have a lot of people doing manual work with landscaping. And one of the things that I hear a lot, like when people come to me and it's like, it's really hard to find manual labor. You know, it's really hard to find the people who want to actually go out and do these jobs and show up to work. And do you have any advice for people that are, that are feeling that or are 
afraid of that because as they're growing their business, this is what they're hearing that finding manual labor is really tough to not only find them to keep them. Yeah. So it is really tough, but I will tell you that it has been tough for years. And I feel like the, the dot, the, the narrative is that this year is really tough. It's like, you know what? All years are tough because the transformation of society is such that there is very little, I don't know how I want to say this pride, respect, you know, for somebody who, who works in the, in the field. Right. So my, father was a mechanical engineer and, uh, you know, worked in commercial refrigeration and air conditioning. My brother kind of grew up in that, but then now my brother is an amazing mechanic. And, and then I got into the soil and have been in the dirt my whole life. And it, there's something in us, we're tradespeople. We like to work with our hands and build things. I think it's very hard for parents to say, I hope my kid becomes a landscaper. You know, it's not, it's not, there's not a lot of honor in their minds in that. And so I think that we as um, owners, we need to develop the honorableness of what it is we are hiring our people to do and honor them in what they do. And one of the ways that you do that is that you build an organization that does give back to that employee. So one of the things that I did very early on is we're a fully benefited company. So you come here and it has all of the whistles and bells that you may get if you went and worked in some corporate job. Um, We wanted to give stability to our employees as a way to honor them. And then the second thing was to make sure that we did create that, you know, stay and be great, grow and transform, build your domain expertise. You can evolve and grow here at the pace and in the direction that you want. Um, That narrative is very important. We have Gen Z coming in very, very hard now. I think the oldest are what, 20 something, four something. They're all coming in and they are less interested in just making a million dollars and they're much more interested in benefiting our planet. And I think that when we look at millennials and we look at Gen Z, we have to remember that triple bottom line motive is going to do an enormous amount to help you with recruiting. And that really is looking at looking at the planet. However, not just as a landscaper, as any company, looking at the planet and how your mission supports the planet, looking at the people who live on the planet, no planet, no people. And then looking at the profits after, no planet, no people, no profit. So you cannot profit drive hard because when you do that, you actually consume your people. And that is no way to to get them or to keep them. So I believe that in the recruiting process, in what you write in your in your posts, the way you do your interview process, um, the way you honor people who are doing this incredibly hard thing of trying to find a job, that is an enormously potent and powerful way to move into the recruiting world. And yes, it'll still be hard, but you will be amazed at the difference in how you how you talk to people and who you're able to hire. Awesome. Thank you yeah. so much for sharing that. I feel like that is such great advice and tips to give of, yeah, like you have to honor your employees. You have to not make anyone feel like they are just a worker. Like they are the bottom of the totem pole because maybe they're the bottom of your org chart. Maybe they're the bottom when it comes to pay levels, but your business couldn't survive without them. So absolutely. Amen to that. (laughs) If they weren't there, your business wouldn't be what it is. So you need those positions and they should feel valued no matter where they are on that hierarchy, a team member. So I love that tips and advice that you shared. And of course the triple bottom line, like that is something that I feel I'm, I'm very passionate about. It was like, yes, you have to show that you care about the people, show that you give back. And for that, it's going to look a little bit differently for every business, but you can't just be going in and caring 100% about the profits because you're leaving a lot behind and you're creating a lot of havoc when you're doing so. Yep. All right. Well, we need to wrap up for today. So Monique, tell everybody how they can get in touch with you. 
Okay, so my website is thegardencontinuum.com. And uh, for people who are really interested in working through organizational chart development and and team building and so on, I do coach. So I try to stay within my green space as much as possible because that's where I really have my, my deep domain expertise. And I do offer um, a complimentary consultation and you can get that right on my website. And then I do have a really cool, called the um, Landscape Business Owners Freedom, uh, Landscape Business Owners Survival Guide. And this is, this is complimentary, it's an ebook and you can just type that in and it's actually good for anybody, but I wrote it through the landscape lens and it's really how to keep your cash flow healthy. And if you are going to be employing teams, one of the scariest things about building your team is making payroll. Um, and so the, there's a direct connect between having a healthy cash flow and um, feeling very calm and zen about uh, your cash flow and your payroll. So you say that's specifically for people in the landscape. Do you think it provide any value for people who maybe aren't necessarily in landscape, but are in certain ind- similar industries where they're having to deal with like, like inventory? Cause that's one thing in like landscaping, you have to buy, you have to buy so we don't have, have to do stuff. We don't have inventory, but I would say it's great for service. So when you okay. look at um, delivering services where um, there isn't, it isn't, so we push product, but we don't actually, I don't have a nursery, so I'm not okay. holding product, but um, it's a great book because what it, it's 15 different cash flow tips. So when you're delivering a service, how you make that upfront promise, and then how you get your upfront payment, your middle payment and your final payment is so, so important. So it, it goes across all the trades and it goes across all Uh, service businesses. I just wrote it through the landscape lens. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think that sounds great. Like I know we have a lot of people who listen to the podcast that are in that type of service delivery, you know, kind of like the pushing product and everything. I know we have a lot of interior designers and everything. So that could be good for all of you that are listening that are in that (laughs) similar space, like go get that and learn how to uh, instead protect your profits and everything yes. and you know, be able to get your money and have that cash flow. Have that cash uh, flow. Yes. That's very important if you want to stay in business. <laughs> all right. So my final question for you today, the question I love to ask all my guests, we have all have had leaders or managers that stood out to us. Think of the most impactful leader or manager that you have had or that you've had the privilege of being around? And can you share with us one thing that made them stand out as a great leader to you? I definitely can. I have two and they're quick. So the first one was my gardening mentor. And she not only taught me so much about gardening and design, but she really gave me a life lesson about developing the ability to earn money and uh, build my life in security. And I really, it was really, really amazing, but she encouraged me because she saw me falling in love with gardening. And again, we're in New England, so you're not going to garden in December. And she said, learn something else, learn something that can be either a fallback or a support. And so I got into accounting and bookkeeping and um, I did that job for 10 years as I built this business and I toggled between the two. Not only did I have, you know, income year round, but the things that I learned there, the transferable skill was absolutely phenomenal and has been really, really good. I mean, I also got an entrepreneurship degree in business because of her advice. So, uh, you know, at school because of her advice. So that was one, it was just so transformative because I made decisions based on that. And the other was I worked for um, a restaurant in town, Legal Seafoods. It's actually all over the like national now. And I was a hostess. Uh, So talk about a kind of a low position, I guess. And we were between the lunch rush and the dinner rush. And I was working a double and every, you know, it was just this crazy rush and everybody had just sort of like, Oh, you know, after that rush. And I noticed that there was a lot of unbussed tables. And so I went over and I talked to the bus people who um, were mostly Haitian and I have some French. And so I said, Hey, 
why don't we just like bang this out and see if we can get ahead of the dinner rush? And so I started bussing tables with them and we were just slamming it. We were doing a great job. And the owner came up to me and I'll never forget this because his, he was scary and he was the guy that would like fire somebody on the spot if they were chewing gum. I mean, it was like, he was scary. And he came up to me and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm in so much trouble. Cause I like stepped over the line and he's like, what are you doing? And I said, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I wanted to help. I wanted to get people to bust the tables quickly so we could help be ready for the dinner. And he said, why did you do that? I'm, I am terrified. And I'm like, I just, nobody was doing anything. And it just felt like we had time. And if we could get ahead of it, like it, it, you know, and I'm stammering. And he said, he said, I'm impressed. You're going to see a raise in your paycheck. That was all he said. And I mean, I got a 25 cent raise. This was, you know, back in the eighties. And I, I swear I was, the adrenaline was all in me. I was shaking, but that man saw me. And he appreciated me and it made a shift for me. One, as an employer, how important it is for you to notice people doing things right. We spend so much time noticing what they're doing wrong. But if we would take our energy and notice what people are doing right and then tell them we notice, the, the wellspring of appreciation in that employee creates that trust bond and it creates that ability to retain people because they feel seen. And at the end of the day, that's just, that's what people want. Right. Great. Well, thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. That sounds like very impactful managers and everything that you've had and mentors that helped put you on the path so you could be successful within your business today and treat your team well, which is super important as we've been talking about. Yes. Thank you so much, Jamie. This has been awesome. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us on the Growing Your Team podcast. And that wraps up this episode of the Growing Your Team podcast. Did you enjoy this episode? If so, and you have not done so yet, please subscribe to the Growing Your Team podcast so you can stay up to date on all the latest episodes and hear all the greatest tips from our guest experts on how you can grow your team so you can scale your business. And if you haven't done so yet, please consider leaving us a review. I would love to hear what you think of the podcast and your review will help other people decide if this is the right podcast for them. So once again, thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Growing Your Team with your host, Jamie Van Kite. Be sure to subscribe and head on over to growingyourteam.com to connect, access the show notes, and discover more ways to hire and leverage your perfect fit team.